On the latest Buffon 55, wide receivers was a big topic. These guys can all catch the football. They can catch the football. They're not guys that have balls bouncing off their chest and bad hands off their helmet, anything like that. They can track a football and catch a football. You know, great quarterbacks can, you know, really help help the players out. So we'll see what Justin can do with this group. And he even said he can win with this group of receivers. So I, I like that last user comment that people uh, they kind of confuse unproven with bad. And that's that's yeah. not the case. I, I, I think that the unproven just means unproven. Yeah, people are conflating unproven with bad by uh, Eric Bono. Buffone 55, the John Buffone show with Alyssa Barbieri and guest Clay Harbor. Available on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Just search Barroom Network. Need a little help with your sports betting? Well, the Barroom Network is here to help. On Saturdays, it's weekend sports betting tips with John Santucci and Anthony from PoundItSports.com. And then on Sunday, it's the Mike North Advantage with the great Mike North. Best way to stay on top of things is subscribe to the Barroom Network's YouTube channel. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Tonight on the Bear Debate, we have four hot topics. Ted Phillips announced he'll step down as Bears team president at the end of the season. How will he be remembered? The Bears roster undergoes a seismic change. What position area could cause the team to implode? On paper, the 49ers outshine the Bears. But is the ink on that paper indelible? The national media continues to crap on the Bears. But are they just full of shit? Our debaters, Caitlin Lanier, host of the Bear Down Girl podcast. And Brendan Chagru, assistant editor of thebearswire.com and co-host of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. Let's get ready to rumble. This is the Bear Debate. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of The Bear Debate. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I am going to start by saying, I'm sorry, Caitlin. I'm so sorry I screwed up your name in the open your last name. <laughs> How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I am so happy that you're here. You have now done 100 episodes of The Bear Down Girl, haven't you? Oh, I think that's what's shown. I've done, like, almost 300, actually. Wow. <laughs> I looked at your Apple podcast feed. It said 100 uh, episodes, and uh, I was quite impressed. And I've listened to your shows per, uh, periodically over the last few years and uh, really impressed with what you're turning out. You're a big Bears fan and know your stuff. Thank you. appreciate it. <laughs> now, uh, let's bring in our next contestant, whose last name I uh, practiced over and over and over again. And I think I got it. Brendan Shagru. Brendan, how are you? What's up, Aldo? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. It's great to have you here. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, so I'm um, co-host of the Bear Down Chicago podcast. Uh, we're relatively new, but uh, the guys, have, we've done this for now going on a year, I think. You had Jack Wright uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we put out weekly episodes, sometimes two a week, uh, detailing the games, having different guests on. Fun debates here and there. Uh, we've got a crew of myself, Patrick Sheldon, Ryan Dangle, Logan Bradley, and of course Jack. So, and we're we're so excited to be talking about regular season football this weekend. I am 
it, it's been way too long, and I'm just so happy it's back. Have you taken a peek of tonight at tonight's game, uh, Brendan? I have. While I was looking at the questions, I was watching Bills and Rams, and I thought I, I have the Rams tonight, so I was a little worried about after that opening drive. But that game got drunk really quickly with all those tur- turnovers, and just <laughs> w- weird things started to happen. What about you, Caitlin? Have you gotten a taste of uh, the first game of the NFL season? Have you watched any of the Bills-Rams tonight? Yeah, I have been. Um, also, I have I play fantasy football, so I'm like keeping track of some of the players. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Very cool. Um, and I've been watching uh, the Sky play, so uh, it's uh, been interesting because I, I really would love them to move on in the playoffs. Uh, I'm seeing something that's kind of a weird score here, so I'm not sure what, what's going on. It's got to be a highlight from a, a different game. But uh, hopefully the Sky will pull it off and go on to win, or have they lost? Oh, my goodness. It says 72-63, Connecticut over Chicago. What's going on? Anyway, uh, this is live TV, so I better not uh, uh, stress too much about it. All right, guys. Um, let's get started with our first question, and um, uh, let's uh, tackle this. Let's have some fun. If, if, you di- if you disagree with one another, fantastic. If you don't, don't worry. I'll play devil's ad- advocate. Here we go with our first question. Ted Phillips, we have to debate the man's legacy with the Chicago Bears. This week, he announced this will be his last year as team president. From my perspective is we want to win. For years, he's been targeted by many Bears fans as the biggest culprit behind the team being under 500 during his tenure. That includes 12 losing seasons and only six playoff berths since 1999. But the numbers on the financial spreadsheets are much better for Ted Phillips. Over Phillips' tenure, the team's value has grown from $500 million to an estimated $5.8 billion. Start your eulogy for Ted Phillips and keep it real. Caitlin, start us off. I think what his legacy will be is inconsistency and too much turnover at the GM and head coach positions. While he allowed the GMs to handle the football side of things, it was Ted Phillips himself who hired those GMs in the first place. Throughout his tenure, it always felt like he was okay with being average, never tried to change his approach. It only took until this offseason to realize that maybe they should reach out and hire a consultant to help out in the GM and head coach search. I feel like he lacked leadership and never seemed like he was truly fit for the job. And Ted Phillips was almost like a glorified accountant half the time, not experienced in the football side of things. Now, what he is credited with is the renovation of Soldier Field and the expansion of House Hall, which, yes, the upgrades to House Hall, I think, are great. But I don't know. The renovation of Soldier Field should be a deemed a success, seeing as we continue to have field issues ever since. I think, ultimately, lack of success during his tenure will be tied to him. I actually wrote a poem real quick, so I'm just uh, going to get into that. Here lies the career of Ted Phillips, a.k.a. Sweaty Teddy. This is technically a eulogy, but I'd like to throw some confetti. You see, the Bears have underachieved since he took over in 99. But to quote coach Dave Wanstead, I'm sure everyone thought, oh, he'll be fine. That wasn't the case, however. Sure, the numbers look good and the team made money. But let's take a look at his stadium project that made fans say, huh, looks kind of funny. Phillips oversaw Soldier Field's additions, a chance to bring the Bears into the 21st century, but what we got was a spaceship on top of columns, and to appreciate it, you need to hit a dispensary. Enough about the stadium, though. Let's talk about the wins. There weren't nearly enough of them, and fans everywhere just took it on the chins. The Bears under Phillips were the definition of mediocre, an average team at best. That's what happens when you're stuck in 85 and idolize a coach with a sweater vest. 
Phillips should never have had GMs report to him. That much is clear. His football acumen was similar to that of a suburban deer. But here's to you, Ted. Your tenure was literally a bear. You failed to win or find a QB, but I guess the rest was there. <laughs> Fantastic job by both of you. Brendan, <laughs> Brendan pulling out the poetry. Brendan, uh, you study poetry at school or something like that? <laughs> I don't. I, I do. I, I wanted to have some fun with it because, you know, you you teed it up as a eulogy. And I think that's an interesting way to put it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Caitlin did hit on a ton of great points in terms of like, you know, getting the financials right. And I think he does deserve some credit for Hallis Hall. But when you have the stadium on the lakefront, that's the place where everybody's going to be seeing all of your work every single Sunday. And your solution was to put a spaceship on top of it, make it smaller. And now 20 years later, literally, as we are talking, the team is talking about yeah. moving out of there. And that's just such a colossal mistake by him. And, you know, that's not even getting into what we were talking about with the wins and losses and having GMs report to him when he was very clearly not a football guy, the buck stopped with him. And that was such a big issue for so many years. Caitlin, you uh, attended games at Soldier Field, I imagine. What was the experience like for you? I've actually never been to Soldier Field. Um, But obviously watching on TV, just the way it looks, just – and I mean, I was worried every time players were out there thinking they were going to get hurt because that field was just not up to top condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll tell you, uh, Brendan, have you gone? I have. I usually go about once a year or so. Yeah, that's about the same here. It's, you know, in 2018, I went to four games, which was great. Maybe they need me to get back there uh, so we can get some more wins. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always dreaded the fan experience there, you know, and it's m- much more when you're getting out or when you're going to the concession area. The concession areas are, are just a, a, a mob of, of people. Uh, when there's a lot of people out there trying to get a hot dog and a beer, it's just a mess. And the way they have to funnel people out of Soldier Field, it's the most frustrating fan experience in Chicago. It's not, you know, Wrigley Field might be uh, uh, might be a second worst. Uh, that's debatable, but Soldier mm-hmm. Field is just a colossal mistake. And the fact that uh, Phillips is in charge of this Arlington project and you better believe he's still going to have a mm-hmm. big say, you know, he's going to be hired as a consultant and he's going to have a, a big say, hopefully all those trips that they've made to SoFi stadium and some of the other new stadiums in the national football league, all those trips that they've had over the last two years, they have learned how to do this right. Um, because I'm, I'm frankly afraid. Caitlin, you cl- call them a glorified accountant and from that standpoint, he's actually been a very successful uh, accountant, given that the the value of the franchise has multiplied a thousand times. I'm not a math genius by any yeah. means, but from 500 millions to 5.8 billion dollars, uh, how much weight do you put on that uh, for a team president and one who uh, claims he's not involved in any of the football decisions? I mean, that he deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I guess my thinking is the Bears are going to make money no matter who's president. I think they're just a popular cornerstone franchise. So just the way the NFL is moving, like, of course, they were going to, you know, increase in value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brendan, you agree with that? I do. I, I think we give them a little too much credit, to be honest, in terms of the financials, simply what Caitlin said you pretty much have to tread water in the NFL 
in order to like make money and everything. You just can't have any like colossal, colossal screw ups and do anything like, you know, that team in Washington is going through right now. But yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he made some things, but in like, you know, over 20 years, almost 25 years, we point to the failed soldier field, the renovations at Hallis Hall, which we agree that's a win. What else has he done exactly? Like, you know, evaluations of NFL teams have gone up for a number of reasons. It's not because the Bears have been good. It just feels like it's because they've treaded water and just been able to, like, stay afloat over these last 25 years or so. Do you think, uh, each of you, do you think that him firing Lovey Smith was a mistake or allowing Phil Emery to fire Lovey Smith was a mistake? I'll start with you, Brendan. I think allowing Phil Emery to fire Lovey Smith in the first place, because if you were going to make that change back in 2011 with Jerry Angelo, you should have made the change and just, you know, gotten rid of Lovey too. Not that that might've been like a popular opinion, but we all, we know how this goes when you replace a GM and have a lame duck head coach and you say, well, you can't fire him after one year. Usually the guy wants to bring in his own, his own coach. And when you're talking about a, a personality like Phil Emery who wants to outsmart everybody and not only bring in his bring in his own guy, but bring in the guy that nobody thinks should get the job because he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. That was the big mistake. If you were going to make a change, make it across the board, don't half-ass it, which is exactly what they did. What about you, Caitlin? What do you think? I mean, I think I can see both sides where I feel like, you know, Lovey Smith, I think we, we at that time, even though the way it finished, he finished off with a winning record, didn't make the playoffs. It was a weird season. We went 10 and six, but didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like the Bears were in need of a change, just a different leader at to, at the top. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't agree with a lot of things that Phil Emery did, um, but I understand why wanting to move on from Lovey Smith. We just kind of needed a new voice in the locker room, to be honest. Mm-hmm. DeMarco Johnson in the chat room says, and Hallis Hall was actually Ryan Pace heading that. Yeah, probably the most credit mm-hmm. Ted Phillips should get for the Hallis Hall uh, renovation is approving the uh, $100 million that it, that it costs and finding, <laughs> finding that money and, and convincing the McCaskey family to, to spend money on the facility. Um, and STC asked the question, how long will it take to start playing in Arlington Heights? Well, if that deal goes through, it could be anywhere between five years and 10 years five years probably being the earliest uh and everything would have to happen from an agreement with the arlington park trustees and uh and and then starting the the, the formal plans of building a state a stadium and so when it's happened with some of these other new state-of-the-art stadiums it's usually a three-year process so it could be f- as early as four years but I'm probably leaning more towards 10 years, uh, given the way the Bears do things. Anybody disagree with that? Not disagreeing. <laughs> no. And even McCaskey, George McCaskey came out today during their meeting and said it could, the whole project could take 10 years. So that's okay. worrisome. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. Well, uh, so Soldier Field, it's going to be, uh, hopefully they'll make some improvements at Soldier Field in, in, in a way to entice the Chicago Bears to stay, which isn't going to happen. But uh, uh, Mayor Lightfoot and the Chicago Park District have to do some improvements to Soldier Field in order to entice somebody else to play in that arena, whether it's college football games, whether it's uh, 
um, perhaps the uh, USFL or XFL, any of these alternate leagues might want to uh, build a franchise in Chicago. So Soldier Field, if it's if they're going to actually put a roof on it, that might entice a, a new franchise in Chicago. Uh, we'll we'll see what they do, but I know one thing, man. Getting out of there is a pain in the ass. I, I hope they improve that. Yeah. All right, let's get on to question number two. The Bears roster has undergone a seismic change from what it looked like in 2021. One of the reasons why is that it currently has 15 rookies. Add in the second-year players on the squad, and the 53-man roster has over 40% of its players with less than one year or no NFL experience. Getting young was a Ryan Poles priority when he was named the team's new GM. They've now gone from the oldest NFL team to one of the youngest. I've asked you to study each of the position groups on this roster and share your biggest concern about this young team. Or are you not overly concerned about any specific group? If so, why? Brendan, you're up first. So overall, I'm not totally too concerned about the roster as a whole. I think there is a nice mix of veterans with a lot of rookies and young players. But the position group that does give me a little concern is cornerback. All of the players are 24 years or under. The average age is 23. And when you're talking about experience, Jalen Johnson is the most experienced in just his third year. And I think that's the position where you could use some veteran leadership. I remember even when in 2018, 2019, when, you know, the roster was still a little bit older, Kyle Fuller was still developing. And, you know, as he was, as he was a rookie, he had somebody like Charles Tillman and some veterans came in. So I think the cornerback group will be good eventually, but Kyler Gordon's a rookie, Kindleville Doors in his third year. I mentioned Johnson. And I think just maybe one veteran there to kind of lead things might be a bit advantageous to them. It's a little concerning with the receivers they have to go up against this year. I'm going to say my biggest concern would be the wide receiver group. This group lacks a true number one wide receiver. Now, while I do think Darnell Mooney has a lot of potential to be a great receiver, I'm still not convinced he's a true number one wide receiver. I feel like he's honestly being given that title this season by default. He's the only receiver that Justin has significant experience with. I mean, the Bears went and signed multiple multiple receivers to one-year deals, so it's going to cause even more issues in the offseason when they're trying to refill that wide receiver room again. And I don't even know if the wide receivers they signed this offseason are going to be big contributors that are going to cause problems for opposing defenses. You think about Pringle and St. Brown. They're low-level guys that are being elevated because the Bears don't have options. I don't know what to expect from Bayless Jones. Rookies can be hit or miss sometimes. There's just too many question marks and a lack of offensive firepower with this position group, which makes him the biggest concern for me. Brendan, you have uh, an issue with Caitlin's take on the wide receiver group and her evaluation of some of the players? I understand it. Um, you know, there really there are veterans on the team. Um, they're not great when you're talking about Dante Pettis and Byron Pringle, though Byron Pringle, you can argue he has been developing. And I think he played a pretty big role on the Chiefs last year as ascending to that uh, number three wide receiver position. But I am in the camp that I really think Darnell Mooney can make the jump to like a true number one receiver. We always talk about that. Like this guy or that guy is not an actual number one receiver until they do it. And Darnell Mooney has taken the steps so far through two years to show that he's progressing to that level. I mean, even just seeing him in camp and in person, he runs so his routes are so crisp. He's so clean with his cuts. And we, you talk about that 
chemistry with Justin Fields, I think that's going to continue. And I don't know. I think at the end of the year, we're really going to see a guy that has like 1,200, 1,300 yards, maybe like seven, eight touchdowns. And we can confidently say that guy is a number one wide receiver in the NFL. It's just, just because he's a fifth round pick doesn't mean that, you know, it can't happen in year three. Caitlin, uh, the rapport that Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields have developed in the off season and in training camp, staying after hours and, and developing rapport, does that give you hope that perhaps Mooney uh, could become a true number one wide receiver in your eyes? I think I see the potential. I, I do believe in him. I'm just worried because I think his size sometimes comes, you know, that can be a concern because I, I don't know how consistently he can. I think he's a great route runner, but I don't know how consistently he's going to be able to get open, especially you think about how he's going to get double, triple coverage. It seems like, cause that's our top option. Everybody knows that's going to be the top option. So I, I just, I don't know if the situation he's in, he's going to be asked to do a lot. And I just, I, I still, I'm not saying he can't, it's just, I feel like it's going to be a lot for him to take on. And Caitlin of the other wide receivers, do you have any expectations that one of them could emerge as a true one a or having two a's perhaps in your eyes darnell mooney being two a and another wide receiver being two a or two b uh do you have an expectation that perhaps you know pattis or equinemius st brown or somebody like that could assume that role dante pettis is kind of like a sneaky pick for me because during the preseason he had some connection going with justin Fields. so i think just based off of availability right now and getting on the same page, having chemistry with Justin Fields, he could be a sneaky pick. I think the Bears want Bayless Jones to probably step up and be that second option. I just don't know how quickly he's going to be able to get adjusted to the NFL. But Dante Pettis, I'm going to keep my eye on him. I think he's going to be a sneaky pick. Brendan, your ideas on who could potentially be uh, that complimentary receiver to Darnell Mooney? Well... I will say, and I'm not, I'm not hating on the pick, Caitlin, but God, if you told me in May that Dante Pettis was like the option as wide receiver too, when the season started, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really, it's hard to say because he hasn't shown anything in preseason and barely anything in camp because he's hurt, but I still am pretty excited to see what Byron Pringle does, especially considering how many yards he was able to get off basically improv when Patrick Mahomes was having to run for his life and find guys in the open that very well could be Justin Fields with some of the offensive line play that happens. And Pringle has a way to get open and, you know, he's stronger than he looks. So I think he's going to play a much bigger role than we think. And it is, I will say it is hard making that pick, not knowing what he did in preseason, not knowing what his chemistry is with fields. This could be something that develops as the season wears on, but I, I want to, I, I would like to see Jones because you talk about investing in your own players that you drafted. Yeah. I just don't, I, I think he's a little rawer than maybe I anticipated because I was high on him and talking myself into it, but I didn't see too much of him in the one preseason game. And even in camp, I thought that he's a little one dimensional right now. Mm hmm. Well, I got to tell you, I think that the perhaps the greatest improvement in the wide receiver room is the fact that Mike Furry is no longer coaching the wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy was a as bad as Matt Nagy. 
And th- those guys were very good friends. They looked like twins, except yeah. one was uh, on steroids and the other one wasn't. And I truly believe that all of the wide receivers in the Chicago Bears uh, o- over the, the Nagy era were really dealt a bad hand because of Mike Furry. Having gone to training camp, I see a vast improvement now over the wide receivers. And one of the things that I anticipate could happen with this team is that guys like Equinemius St. Brown, Dante Pettis, and uh, and some of the other secondary and third receivers, uh, Byron Pringle, they could all be in that 40 to 60 catch area. This offense is about spreading the ball around. And so with Cole Komet, at least going to catch the 60 passes he had last year. And I think his ceiling could be 80, 85 passes. Uh, Darnell Mooney, he should be able to duplicate the numbers that he had last year. And I anticipate that 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 chemistry between him and Fields could lead him to catch even more passes. But there's going to be a lot of wide receivers in that 40 to 60 catch era area because of the way this defense, or excuse me, this offensive scheme is is works and the precision route running that is demanded uh, out of this offense. And Luke Getze is just a much, much better offensive coordinator. So I expect that these guys, if you want to call them mediocre journeyman guys like Dante Pettis and so forth, I expect them to at least play to the ceiling of their capabilities this upcoming season. So at least – before week one, I have high expectations for these wide receivers. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. And I will burn this part of the video if <laughs> week three. No evidence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, before we get on to our next question, Brendan, you also bring up a really good point regarding the cornerbacks on this squad. That is an area where uh, guys are going to have to really step up. Uh, I love the, the two young corners, Kyler Gordon and the pace draft pick, uh, uh, Jalen Johnson. Uh, but outside of that, there are some question marks, and uh, hopefully there's going to be a pass rush. You know, good pass rush usually leads to good defensive back play and vice versa. Uh, so uh, hopefully the pass rush will be there. Uh, and the proof will probably start uh, this upcoming week against Trey Lance. All right, guys, let's head over to question number three. Last Halloween, the Bears were spooked in the fourth quarter by the 49ers as they treated themselves to a not-so-scary Bears defense and scored 18 points to win by 11, 33-22. Jimmy Garoppolo's in! The 49ers had 143 more offensive yards than the Bears that day. San Francisco will bring back a defense that was one of the best last year, and many predict the team's D will be even better this season. Tell me why the Bears can compete or not compete against a team that on paper has more talent, more depth, and many predict is a legit Super Bowl contender. Caitlin, this time you're up. I definitely think the Bears can compete against the 49ers while on paper the 49ers look like a top contender. I try not to make assumptions on a team based off the previous season because, as you know, the NFL can be so unpredictable, especially in week one. Injuries can happen. So I, it, it when you think a team is going to be good, someone get, a top player gets hurt and it changes everything. 
I also think the 49ers still have a big question mark at quarterback because we don't really know what to expect from Trey Lance. And with his lack of experience, I think the Bears defense will be able to have the advantage. Um, the Bears defense has already shown that they are more disciplined, more aggressive, and trying to get takeaways. While the 49ers defense is a tough matchup, as we saw last season, Justin Fields was able to make some plays with his arms and legs. And I think with a new and improved offense that the 49ers haven't seen yet, the Bears offense led by Justin can make some plays. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Bears could not only compete against the 49ers, but possibly steal a win. The Bears can compete with the 49ers. Now, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to predict them to get a win. But let's start with the 49ers offense. Caitlin said it, Trey Lance. There are so many question marks at the quarterback position, and I don't think the 49ers are completely sold on him. He's not a captain. They brought back Jimmy Garoppolo to breathe down his shoulder if things go wrong. I wasn't fully impressed with what I saw in the preseason. I don't think he's a polished quarterback. Yes, he's a dual threat, but you neutralize him, good things are going to happen. Plus, George Kittle may not be playing. And for the Bears defense, I don't think they're going to give up something like third and 19 to Debo Samuel against on this Matt Eberflus team. That's not how they roll. Now, uh, facing the 49ers defense, there are problems there, especially up front, but their secondary is a bit weaker. So if you can find ways to sort of keep Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa at bay, roll the pocket out, I think you could take some chances against the secondary. I don't know if they'll win, but I think it's going to be a much closer game in the Bears cover. Outstanding analysis uh, from both of you on that. You know, I think that this game um, and all Chicago Bears victories this season are going to hinge on Justin Fields' performance. He's the guy. I mean, he has to create magic and really look like the franchise quarterback all of us are, are praying for. I, I truly believe that he is capable, even with the San Francisco 49ers defense, to do some things outside of the pocket, move around, uh, hit some of these precision passes. And, of course, the running game is going to play a huge part of on this game and play action and so forth. But I saw Caitlin nodding when I said Justin Fields. Yeah, don't you think that this is Justin Fields? If the Bears are going to win more than seven, eight, nine games – it's going to be because of Justin Fields, wouldn't you say? Oh, definitely. I think he is the X factor for sure. Um, how he, how much he gets better this season. Um, I, I think he. This offense is. It, they're they built this offense around him. He's already automatically in a better situation than he was last season because he has, you know, the support behind him, and I think he has all the intangibles. Um, I just think, you know. I think the key, obviously, is the offensive line. He's got to stay protected. It's got to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Brendan, you think that the Bears are going to do some special, like, max protection, keep somebody in to, to help against Bosa? And uh, if so, do you think this could limit the offense's options and it could uh, be a big detriment to scoring points? To an extent. I think it's safe to say I'm sure the you know the scripted first 15 plays are going to be heavily in 12 personnel and utilize David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert to try and open up some running lanes. I mean, you, you talk about the ends of the we talked about the ends of the 49ers defense with Bosa and Armstead. If you can get through that interior and also keep somebody like Fred Warner at bay, you know, perhaps there's running lanes to be had. And keep in mind, we talk about last year's performance. 
David Montgomery wasn't there. And Khalil Herbert was still kind of coming into his own. He had an okay game, if I remember correctly. But when you don't have somebody like Montgomery to kind of shoulder that load and establish the run over and over, I think that does, you know, have an impact. So at least to start, I can really see them trying to max protect, see what, you know, the 49ers are giving them. And then something that we haven't seen in years, I think the Bears are going to be able to make adjustments, open things up in the passing Mm -hmm. game, roll fields out and make plays with his feet and, you know, create some more uh, breathing room for him. Caitlin, um, what do you think about Matt Eberflus taking kind of this CEO approach to head coaching in contrast to the previous head coach who was much more focused on the offense? Uh, Eberflus is overseeing all three units, special teams, offense, and defense. From all the reports that we're hearing, he's spending equal time in all three rooms. And uh, he's not he's not meddling as much as, as challenging coaches and, and participating in, in meetings to lend his expertise. Do you like that approach from the head coach? Or would you prefer that this team had an offensive-minded head coach to help advance Justin Fields' career even faster? No, actually, I love this approach. It's actually what I preferred when we were searching for a new head coach because I think Nagy became – it just – Nagy ran everything, and there's just so much chaos with the team. And I think him just overseeing everybody, it's it feels like more of a united team, and they're I, more disciplined. And I, I don't necessarily think we need an offensive-minded coach to be our head coach. Because as long as you hire the right offensive coordinator who's going to work one-on-one with Justin Fields, and I think that's that's what he needs because I think last year he was probably confused. Do I go to Matt Nagy or do I go to Laser? Do Who am I talking to about offense? Because there was not it, – it's just so much going on. Nagy ran the whole show, and I think this is going to, you know, by Iberflus allowing the coordinators to actually do their job, I think it's going to best suit the team. Brendan, I tweeted out last week after Luke Getze's press conference, and I probably should have tweeted it out again, that listening to Luke Getze is like listening to a TED speech. He's so interesting, and he's so – it's refreshing to hear him talk about this offense. What are your early judgments on Luke Getze? I know the the proof is going to be in the pudding and what they – and he even said that. What we've done doesn't mean anything. It all comes down to wins and losses, which is a a great thing for him to to stress. But what are your early thoughts on Luke Getze, and what do you think that he can bring to this Bears offense that we haven't seen? I'm really trying my hardest not to get too excited because we haven't seen anything yet, but you're, you're right. And I wish I could disagree, but like listening to him talk and not only like explain things and break it down in just a simply simplistic way, but also in a way that shows he knows what he's talking about, but also he is holding fields to such a high standard. The comment that stuck out to me when he said fields in his press conference following the Browns game said, yeah, I think we turned a corner. I really think we're, we're on our way now. And Getsy's like, I don't think so. Like there's, there's still much work to be done. He's not falling into as what we as fans do, like all that excitement and everything, because he knows that the process, it is a process. It's not done yet. And so he has high, high expectations for fields in this offense. And just hearing him talk about that and talk about the process to get there is so exciting. And the other thing I'll say real quick is watching the preseason. You can't take too much from it, but the fact that they were, you saw a little bit from the offense against the chiefs, right? 
And then the second week you saw a few more tink, you know, tinkers and, you know, tricks and everything uh, against the Seahawks for that first series. Then they really started to open it up against the Browns. So you see Luke Getze starting to throw more and more at fields in the starting offense and they're picking it up and throwing it down. That's what we didn't see with Matt Nagy was the progression. And I think it's small. It's a, a small sample size, but you're seeing it already. Caitlin, what do you think about the fact uh, Brendan mentioned earlier that uh, Trey Lance was bypassed for captainship by the 49ers? They uh, voted in, I think, six players, and he was like the seventh choice. (laughs) It seems to me that it's a huge slap in the face to their quarterback. Quarterbacks are almost like a given to be part of the captainship. Did he play that bad in preseason? Did it inspire anyone to give him a captainship? Do you think that I'm reading too much into that? What are your thoughts? No, I I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think – yeah, it does seem like by default, the quarterback should usually be a ca- one of the captains. And so it just feels like they're kind of subtly telling everybody we aren't that committed, mm-hmm. which is crazy. They used a top pick. I mean, we know as Bears fans using top picks on quarterbacks and it doesn't work out. But for them, they invested in him and it just feels like they're already have one foot out the door, like they're not all in. And I feel like for, for his growth, he should kind of get that validation of being a captain. So if he's not, it it's already feels like he's on thin ice, to be honest. Brendan, do you think we'll see Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half of this game or any point of the game? No, although that would be so funny. I mean, <laughs> and, you know, you talk, Caitlin, you talk about like the subtle, like, you know, dig, I'd say it take you know, not being the captain. I mean, there was a very less subtle dig when they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo again. And I mean, I, I laughed when the quote came out that said Trey Lance was like, oh, great. That's awesome. Jimmy was so good to me last year. Of course he was good to you because he was the starter and he knew he had this team for many, many years. You were just coming in now and you were told all offseason that this guy was going, you know, was not going to be around anymore. They said he wasn't going to be around anymore. And now that that's just as a young player, I don't think that can shake your confidence any more than it does. And um uh, my guy, uh, I think it was, I think it was Patrick Sheldon, uh, part of my podcast. He basically put the two quotes together where, um, from the 49ers side, they said, Trey Lance really wanted to be a captain. This meant a lot to him. So it sucks that he's not a captain. And then you have the quote from Khalil Herbert saying, I would pretty much die for Justin Fields. He was the obvious <laughs> choice for captain. He didn't actually say that, but that's kind of how it read. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> One last question about the 49ers. Uh, uh, I'd like to get both of your points on this, starting with Caitlin. Robbie Gold in that seven San Francisco 49ers uh, uniform and him, him kicking those five field goals in that one game in Soldier Field to beat the Bears. How, how much of a heartbreak is that for you? Or are you one of the fans uh, who just wants to see Robbie Gold uh, get his ass kicked and you have no feelings for him whatsoever? I have... I guess with some players, I guess it just depends on the player. Um, I have an appreciation for Robbie Gold, and I feel like he still shows respect towards Bears fans and the franchise And in comparison to other players who, you know, Allen Robinson kind of just, like, quitting. And so, like, certain players, like, if I feel like they show some respect to the team and fans, I I can root for them no matter what team they're playing for. Now, if they go to that – team in green bay i'm never rooting for you so 
Pat O'Donnell, I'm never rooting for you, but Javi <laughs> <laughs> Gold, I, I still I still want him to have success. Like I, I don't have any hard feelings or bad feelings when it comes to him. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I actually this is a very unpopular opinion with Bears fans, but I was okay with letting him go after the 2015 season because of the fact that he was kind of he was showing that he was on the downside. He was expensive for a rebuilding team. And he even said repeatedly that, hey, the Bears letting me go was a wake up call. I needed to sort of like recommit myself to my craft. And he wasn't even good with the Giants before then. So when all, everybody comes out of the woodwork and said, we should have never let Robbie Gold go. I really don't think we would see the same Robbie Gold playing today if we had kept him. And I'm very appreciative for what he did for the Bears for so many years. Um, I got to meet him out, watched him practice out in Arlington Heights once, which was so cool. He was such a nice guy. And I just, I think he has, Caitlin, I think you said it. He's got appreciation for the Bears fans. He knows how special this town is, how special the fans are. And I I think everybody just has that same appreciation, no matter what. Brendan, you know what? I felt the same way uh, about Robbie. uh, But then years later, upon reflection, I kind of blame it on the head coach. At the time, why didn't it? Because it was John Fox, right? Yeah. Why didn't John Fox just grab him by the collar and say, "Hey, listen, you're not doing your job. You got to get your shit together here and go out there and do what you're capable of doing." I get the sense that you don't care anymore. That you don't care about being the best kicker in the National Football League. I want that Robbie Gold, the Robbie Gold that made clutch kick after clutch kick and was one of the best kickers in bears history. The Robbie gold I see out there now sucks. Now get your shit together. or We're going to drop you. Do you love Chicago or not? I think if, if Fox would have done something like that for Robbie gold, Robbie probably would have got his shit together well before having been let go and, and going to San Francisco. You know, I blame a lot of stuff on coaches and I am so glad that we have a coaching staff now that I respect. And if they let me down, I, I, I might start rooting for the Jacksonville Jaguars who probably are going to be playing in social field in a few years. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about that. But you know, I, I, do, I do really believe that, uh, you know, coaching has a lot to do with player performance and it, it's kind of natural, even if you're making millions of dollars to, you know, go through some downtown downtime psychologically, and it's the coach's job to investigate that and motivate and so forth. Anyone disagree with me? Want to challenge me on that? I think, you know, I, I will kind of challenge you in the sense that Robbie at that point was already a 10 year veteran. He had already gone through what, like three, no, I guess two coaching changes at that point. And I mean, I, I think you talk about like the 2015 game, in where he actually like essentially blew the game, missed two kicks. I think that was what pretty much what sealed the deal. And I see, you know, Cliff commenting, they didn't want to pay the money that Phil Emery promised them. I understand that. But when you're a 10 year veteran, you know, the expectations you've been in those clutch moments, you should know what it takes to kind of get that. And maybe it's hard even when, when a coach does come to you, when you're getting kind of complacent in the same workplace you've been in for 10 years and it takes getting your ass kicked to the curb and saying, well, now what do I do? Will another team want me? So I I will push back a little bit, but I understand what you're saying. Like Fox probably could have been, could have done a little better. I mean, how much was he really into it trying to, you know, change that? It didn't seem, it didn't seem like much after going into that three and 13 season. What do you think, Caitlin? I, I don't know. Sometimes kickers, they can be so, I, 
kickers can sometimes get in a rut and it's hard to get out of it. And sometimes he, like, he probably needed a change of scenery, to be honest. Um, I think parting a ways for both sides was beneficial to both. And I think he needed to kind of get a fresh start somewhere else and maybe kind of rejuvenate his career. Fair enough. Um, I see good. I, I, I feel like both of you made good arguments there. Let's get on to our final question of the show. The national media's narrative is clear. The Bears will suck in 2022. The biggest reasons cited are the following. No help for a young quarterback. New offensive system for a second-year quarterback. No number one wide receiver. No wide receiver depth. No offensive line. Multiple new starters. A defense without Khalil Mack. No cornerback depth. A scheme change on defense. And I'm leaving out another half dozen complaints. Each of you has 60 seconds to tear down this argument, or if you dare, support it. Plus, end your response with your projected win-loss record for 2022. This time, we start with Brendan. Seasons are always measured in wins and losses. I get that. But this year's not going to be that for the Bears. This is about development for not only Justin Fields, but a very young roster that is looking to an establish an identity under Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. And I think that's exactly what they do. This team isn't going to win a ton of games in 2022, but you know what? They're going to be competitive. They're going to play hard. They're going to play disciplined. They're going to have an identity. And teams are going to say, damn, that was a really tough team. That was a hard out. And speaking of Fields earlier, we are going to see development from him in this new offensive system. I think the Bears are going to win seven games. They lose 10 games. But you know what? I think the offense is going to look much better. They're going to have that identity I talked about. The defense is going to play hard. They're going to play fast. They're going to create turnovers. And maybe the losses pile up. They're not going to be by much. We're not going to see the blowouts. And we're going to see something that gets us excited for 2023 and make, make them possible Super Bowl contenders. I think what the national media is not seeing is what a quick impact Iberflus could have on this team. Under Nagy, the team was undisciplined and their effort was put into question constantly. Iberflus has come in and already gave this team structure and has made giving extreme effort his biggest message to the team. And the team, as you see by their effort during these preseason games, has shown that that message is resonating with them. I think the defense is going to go back to its old form of creating turnovers and consistently getting stops. We as Bears fans have seen previous teams be carried by great Bears defenses, so I think their much-improved defense will already make them a competitive team. What makes it different this time is they have a way better quarterback situation. Justin Fields, I believe, has all the tools to be a great quarterback, and I think the new offense being run will be better suited for his abilities. I think the biggest question will be if the offensive line can protect him consistently and if this team will be able to put up points regularly. The Bears do. I think the Bears have a favorable schedule this season, and there are a lot of winnable games for them. So I'm going to say the opposite. My win loss prediction is 10 to 7. 10 7. Wow. Excellent. I like right. that. I, I like the disagreement. Brendan, you want to you wanna challenge her on her uh, extra three wins? I, I understand the whole, you know, schedule is easy and everything. I mean, the schedule is easy until you actually start playing the games. I feel like, you know, you can always look at a schedule and then team surprise. Not to say the Bears can't, but I think it is going to be very, very tough to do so. I mean, that just the end of the schedule, for example. Yeah, you have a lot of home games, but that stretch is brutal. 
And I think, you know, teams like the Vikings, they're going to be, they're going to be a harder out than we think. I mean, they're probably saying the same thing about changing over from Mike Zimmer. That, that's the thing. Like you could kind of you know, like spin things in different ways with different teams. Like, Oh, the Falcons, for us, they may, you know, they seem like they suck, but now they're like, okay, we have a new identity and we're building something as well. Uh, same thing with like the Texans. They have a second year quarterback and they have Lovey Smith. Maybe they're going to be improved, but I, I just think the NFL's fickle. And I'm not going to say like they're going to lose like three games, like so many national media experts, experts, but it, it's just not even, it, they're not that bad. It's just, I don't think they're, they're a playoff contending team this year. You want to challenge that, Caitlin? I just think like the fact that this team that of past with Nagy as head coach would still find a way to sneak. Well, like you think, uh, 2020, they snuck into the playoffs by default. Yeah. But I just think that they're a way better coach team. And I think the div- divisions, I mean, they're playing the NFC East. A lot of those teams are beatable. The AFC East, you think obviously the Bills are going to be the biggest, the toughest matchup. And I think the Patriots with Belichick is going to be a tough matchup. But um, and I, the Dolphins, I don't know about them. But I think the key is they got the Bears got to steal a couple of the divisional games against the Vikings and Packers. Get at least one. I think that's going to be the you know those games that are really going to be important. But I think a lot of these team, teams that they're facing are they're just not expected to be good teams like the Texans, Giants, Jets. I I. I've yet to believe that they're going to be any kind of, of a good team. So I think those are like, you know, a lot of easy wins there. Let me tell you something. Week one, win. Week two, win. Week three, win. Week, <laughs> <be going. laughs> win. week six, win. We are six and oh after six weeks. <laughs> you got to be optimistic at the start of the season. It's after that first game where all of a sudden that optimism starts. Yeah. I know. I know. I will say I do, and this is a this is very unpopular. I do have the Bears beating the Packers in week two because yeah. it's a it's a crazy thing, but I I found this stat. I think it's three the new Bears coaches, actually it's four. Dick Duran, his first year, his first game in Green Bay, win. Lovey Smith, his first year in Green Bay, win mm-hmm. in 2004. 2013, Mark Tressman, his first year in Green Bay, win. John Fox, his first year in Green Bay, win. 2018, Matt Nagy, his first year in Green Bay, should have been a win, but Rodgers was taking Percocets. That should have been (laughs) illegal. We should put an asterisk around that game. But the point is, you know, at least with like new Bears coaches, they're not afraid of the boogeyman. They find a way to beat Aaron Rodgers and, well, I guess in the past, Brett Favre, but they find a way to beat the Green Bay Packers. And I mean, I totally, I get everything Caitlin's saying. Like, this is a new coaching staff that's not Matt Nagy. They have an identity. And, you know, with how bad Matt Nagy was to win six games last year, you would think that they could actually do it um, a lot more in 2022 with Iberflus. I do think, I think there is some valid criticism about the roster not being as talented, at least as of now, because there's a lot of unknowns. So this could be a thing where, this team kind of develops as the season goes on. They steal a win or two, and then they start playing cohesively more as the season goes on, but then you start running in, into those buzzsaws with those really tough teams. So that's kind of where I'm coming from from this. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, want to get your quick thoughts before we pull the plug on this episode of the Bear Debate. The national media, I mean, even today, Dominic 
Foxworthy laying out some misinformation about the Bears cap. Uh, he's tried to defend himself saying the cap is bad this season. Well, of course it's bad this season. This was inherited. And when you get rid of players like Khalil Mack and there's all this, this damage uh, to the salary cap, but the Bears are in an excellent position. Just overall, Caitlin, what do you feel about the national media and their take on the Chicago Bears? And do you think that they are committing uh, malpractice by talking about stuff they don't even know about? Oh, they, they definitely are. I honestly, at this point, I have like, I don't even pay attention to the national media because they never seem to know what they're talking about. I, I try to stick to local media who actually cover the Bears on a day-to-day basis because the national media, it's just like they just say things just to be polarizing. Like Dan Orlovsky, he's always saying something polarizing about Justin Fields just to catch people's attention. It just feels like they don't do their homework. They don't care enough about the Chicago Bears, so I don't care what they think about the Chicago Bears. Brendan, your thoughts? Caitlin said it at the end. I really don't care anymore. I mean, yeah. I, I rarely cared at the beginning and I feel bad saying that because it's part of my job. I, you know, kind of like, you know, report a little bit on what people are saying, but they're so out of touch and I get it. It's hard to cover like 32 teams. You don't know what's going on. You try to hit those buzzwords, but yeah. you have Keyshawn saying the bears like, you know, are going to lose all advantages by playing in a dome. What advantages? We haven't been good for years. Thank and I mean, you. now uh, Dominique Foxworth coming out about the cap space. Like, it's just, it's easy fodder. It's so easy. Everybody's, you know, hanging on the bills right now. And I'm getting texts that saying they're just going off. So apparently that game turned. But um, <laughs> it, it's just easy to say, Bills, Packers, good. Bears, Falcons, bad. And just let it go there. So mm-hmm. I, I don't. I follow local media as well. I follow the people that are there. And when the national media actually goes to a practice or is like, you know, in the building with, you know, somebody like Stacey Dales or when Adam Rank visits, then I'll listen because you're actually there and you're actually paying yeah. attention, not just sitting far away and hitting those buzzwords that is going to make Bears Twitter mad and come at you with pitchforks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I get upset even uh, on Sunday afternoons when these commentators are talking about games. You know, they're watching six screens at the same time. It's impossible to offer up really astute analysis of a game if you've got one eye over here, another eye over here, and then you're darting that other eye over there mm-hmm. and so forth. You don't really understand the flow of the game. You don't understand you know, the intricacies of football, you really got to pay attention to the game of football play by play and get a sense of rhythm and, and, and coaching schemes and and all this stuff. And so uh, it's, it's almost an impossible task. I'm not saying that any, that no commentator, no football analyst could do that because there are some incredibly insightful people who can offer good analysis, but to offer, uh, but 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 the majority of them have proven uh, to be just wrong, to to be just bad about this. And the Chicago Bears have been the major victim this season of this media malpractice of covering the Chicago Bears. All right, well, it is time now to uh, uh, for you for you each to share a little bit about your podcast and and where people can find it and plug whatever you'd like. I'll start with you, Caitlin. So my podcast is the Bear Down Girl podcast. Now that the regular season's kicking off, I'm going to be doing two episodes per week. Starting tomorrow night, I'm going to be dropping a game preview episode for week one, and then I'll follow it up on Tuesday with a game recap. That's going to be the same schedule 
um, week to week. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Bear Down Girl Pod. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you listen to your podcast. So um, get ready. So yeah, I can't wait to recap the, the Bears games. Outstanding. And you, Brendan? Uh, so I'll start with my podcast. Uh, you can follow us at the Bear Down Chicago podcast. Uh, we have weekly episodes, so they usually come out Monday mornings. We record Sunday nights, so you get those fresh reactions. Uh, we'll also be doing preview episodes in the middle of the week. Might have a guest or two, uh, but you can definitely expect us to have our uh, uh, recaps episodes like I said, with myself, Patrick Sheldon, Ryan Dangle, Jack Wright, and Logan Bradley. And then you can read me on the Bears Wire. Uh, I'm putting out, I think it's like an article a day at this point, uh, myself, Alyssa Barbieri, and the rest of our staff. So, um, And Alyssa does a fantastic job. I know you know that. Uh, but just check, make sure to check out our work every single day. Uh, we'll be covering the games and every single thing that happens with the Bears as best we can. Yep. I love to go to bearswire.com uh, and get ideas for some of the stuff that we talk about on all our shows here at the Barroom Network. You two have been absolutely great. I'd love to have you back on a future show of the Bear Debate. And um, and again, I want to encourage people to visit uh, your podcast and visit your work over at Bears Wire, Brendan. Uh, any other final words that before we pull the plug? No, I had a blast. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thank you very much for being on. And I just want to let people know that our uh, uh, Sunday is going to be jammed. Oh, Brendan's back. Brendan, any final words? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the internet was yeah. bad. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> any final words? No, I no uh, thank you so much for having me. Great, Caitlin, it was great to meet you. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably glitching out a little bit. Sorry. No problem. No problem. Better to do it at the end of the show than in the middle of the show. That's yeah. true. I'm sure my no wife problem. is watching something or something like that. <laughs> oh, wives. <laughs> um, just want to let people know that Sunday we've got a jam-packed show. It starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. I got to wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning <laughs> to do a show with Mike North. It's a, his brand-new betting show on Sundays, NFL Sundays, the Mike North Advantage. And then right after that is the Barfly Tailgate Show, a bunch of passionate, hungry Bears fans talk about the Chicago Bears. And then immediately after the game, it's uh, Bear Football with John Buffon, Tyler Ellis, and, and Danny Shimon. Uh, reviewing the game so hopefully you can join us for some or any or all of those sunday shows and until next time take care everybody